MailChimp presents. This is Going Through It, a show about women who found themselves in situations where they said, mm, no. And they made a decision to make a change and turn something around. I'm your host, Tracy Clayton. So, I wanted to share a very special conversation that I was fortunate enough to have with Tamron Hall at VultureFest in sunny, sunny Los Angeles. It was a fantastic show and a fantastic time, but since it was a live show, it might sound a little different from the other episodes you've heard so far. So, if in the middle of the episode of the conversation you hear somebody stand up and yell something like, Oh my God, I can't believe it's Tracy! I love her so much! It's because it was a live show, and because it was probably my mom, and she's finally proud of me. Yay! Y'all already know that this season of Going Through It has been about, oh, uh, a moment, and guess who has had more of those (laughs) than anyone I know? Miss Tamron Hall. She has had moments that you're probably familiar with, like when she got fired from the Today Show because they wanted to give an hour to Megyn Kelly instead for some reason. And there was that moment that she bounced back with her very own daytime talk show. But there's also moments that you may not know very much about, like when she packed up her entire life to move to Philadelphia, something that I, too, have done. And we also talk about some lesser known moments like the extremely pivotal and heartbreaking murder of her sister, which led Tamron to her activism work to bring awareness to those affected by domestic violence. It was a wonderful, dynamic, full conversation, and I hope you enjoyed Tamron Hall's gems and insight as much as I did. This is Going Through It. Hi, hello, welcome. My name is Tracy Clayton, and I am the host of season two of MailChimp's podcast, Going Through It. And season two is pretty much about women, Black women in particular, who were in a situation, and they were just like, "Uh uh-uh, nope, I'm not doing this, we're done, cut it off, and they decided to do something different. Has anybody been through it in this audience? Can I get an amen? (laughs) That was a hearty chuckle. Somebody's been through a lot. (laughs) Our guest today is someone that I'm sure that you know. She is the host of approximately 1,000 news shows and daytime TV shows, including The Big Picture, News Nation with Tamron Hall, and Deadline Crime with Tamron Hall, which is very close to my heart as a true crime-obsessed person. She was also the first Black woman anchor of the Today Show and currently hosts the Tamron Hall Show, which just debuted this season. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me to welcome Ms. Tamron Hall. That is some good acting. Yeah, y'all had something to prove with that one. So, as I said before, Going Through It is a show about Black women who found themselves in a, in a pickle. An example for me and my life, years and years and years ago, I was living in Philadelphia. We'll talk about that. And um, I was dating this dude, and I was having a tough time. And I was like, you know, I'm thinking about going to therapy. Do you think that I would be weak if I did that? And he was like, Yeah. And for a second, I was like, oh, no, no therapy. Then I was like, wait a minute. You should also go get some therapy. Um, so, Miss Tamron, yes. I would love to begin with a moment 
like that for you. Okay. And I want to start with this moment up top because I feel like it's a bit of an elephant in the room and I really want to get into the meat of who Tamron Hall is. Okay. Okay? All right. So you were the first black woman co-anchor on today mm-hmm. and then you weren't anymore. It didn't happen that magically, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you give us a brief synopsis of what happened? I was fired. Um, that's it. That's good and brief. Yeah, All right. That's, that's how it happens. As someone who has studied journalism and has been in the field for a good chunk of time. Me or you? You, I've oh. been in nothing for a good chunk of time. <laughs> they found me off the street a couple of days ago. I don't they know how I got here. In Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, how did that feel? Like, I mean, you're a, a journalist, a TV journalist, yeah. and then it's taken away from you for whatever yeah. reason. What was your first Oh, there was a thought? specific reason. Oh, what Why? Was the reason? Yeah, no, 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 no. I won't sugarcoat it. There was a specific reason. They okay. wanted something that wasn't me hmm. because our ratings were great, um, which had been publicized. The last week I was there, had done all three hours of the Today Show, 45 minutes later, hosted a full hour of news and politics on MSNBC, ran home, changed clothes, ate food, came back and filled in for Lester Holt for the week. So clearly my work ethic was there. Yeah. That week, uh, the ratings and all of those shows were great. So, you know, you just have to do, as I said at that point, in any of our lives, and in fact, when you were talking about the subject matter, even though this conversation is related to women of color, the person who applauded the most was a white man with yeah. a beard, and unless he has a black woman hiding in him, <laughs> <laughs> which we all do, <laughs> you know, it's a relatable topic. And so I said that day, at some point in all of our lives, the goalpost keeps getting moved to the point it's invisible. Mm-hmm. And I am not into being Charlie Brown to anyone's Lucy. So I wasn't going to keep kicking the football. Mm -hmm. Was that a difficult decision for you to make? No. No? Absolutely not. Um, My father had died 10 years prior. Uh, My father was the only dad, that the dad that God meant for me to have. I wasn't raised by my biological father. I was raised by my stepfather. And uh, he was like the most Black Panther dad. You know, we were like, before Black Panther was a film, we would start lined up Wakanda. (laughs) It's like in our house. And so he was a very proud, phenomenal dad who was in the army his entire life, had actually joined at age 14 and lied and said that he was older. And my dad was the leader of our family. And 10 years prior, he had passed away. You know, if that had happened at the time that the leaving the Today Show and the loss of my dad, I would not have been able to leave. Because at the time... My whole family was broken. We were lost. My mother's anchor was gone. So fast forward 10 years later, I am in a job where I'm doing everything that I can to prove my value. Because I know that um, the catchphrase is know your value. I knew my value because mm-hmm. as a black woman, you constantly have to know your value. And you have to remind um, yourself. And you have to remind yourself. Day. So it's like a mantra. You, you wake up, your alarm clock goes off and you go, I'm a black woman, know my value. (laughs) And so um, it wasn't that I did not know my value. It's others did not know my value, which was okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had to make a decision. And I I related to my father because my mother had finally realized that she could move on with her life, her big moment. Mm -hmm. Um, I was in a position where I'd saved some money which was not something that I was inclined to do. (laughs) Um, And so I could make this decision. But the biggest thing, which relates to the topics that you discussed, my back was against the wall. So it was the wall or what? 
Mm. So it was an easy decision because there was no other decision to make. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. A thing that always strikes me about news and the people who read us the news is how tight you have to be when it comes to emotion. You know, like I yeah. cry all the time. I do too. I mean, listen, I do a crime show. You don't, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's tough. Mm-hmm. A lot of therapy after covering things that I've covered. Are you asking me, did I cry? Absolutely. But I did not cry over the job. Mm. No. What did you cry over? Frustration, like anybody else. Mm. And I've been doing this 25 years. I was 47 at the time. I've been on TV since I was 18. And I've worked since I was 14. I'm unemployed. Mm-hmm. So you're thinking, what is my what's next? You know, I did not have a $69 million contract. Mm. No shade to anybody who does. And if you do, give me a loan. Listen, but I didn't have that. <laughs> I did not have that. Mm-hmm. So it's the reality of life. It's also my what's next as an older woman. You know, when I had my son six months ago and People Magazine put on the cover, 48 Miracle Baby, I didn't know I was that old. Mm. Until they made me a lab rat straight in front of everybody. I was like, <laughs> damn. So, We're definitely going to talk like, about that I'm later. I'm really old. Um, <laughs> so, because in my mind, I'm still 20-something year old Tamron who started out reporting and now I went from being the youngest reporter Mm. in the newsroom to the oldest Uh and now the oldest unemployed and when you are a black woman in the news first of all when you're a woman in the news you already know that there are limited spaces now take the five white female spaces Mm -hmm. and look how many women of color there are zero Asian Mm -hmm. maybe one Latino and Two, Gail King takes up all of them. Yeah, <laughs> then Shout it's out you. To Gail. You're like I'm, I'm the other Gail King. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so um, the spaces are limited. Mm-hmm. Um, Don Lemon is the only black host of a prime time cable news show in America. Period. Like after seven p.m., you see no hosts of color. How on did I not any cable that? news station. What do you make of that? Do you think that that's going to change anytime soon? If I were hiring, yes. And not based on, you know, one of the most hurtful things that I've ever been called. When I joined the national news conversation as a journalist 11 years ago, someone wrote, because I was hired right after the, this Don Imus scandal. Don Imus is a famous uh, mm-hmm. uh, radio personality, and he made a disparaging comment about the Rutgers University uh, basketball team. I was Google it if you don't know it. It's pretty stunning. <laughs> um, but I was already in talks to join MSNBC and NBC, which people didn't know it wasn't public. Don Imus was let go, and then I was hired after he made a disparaging remark about African-American women. People thought my hiring was tied to that. And I remember instantly being worried about it because I know people make generalizations. And then I joined uh, cable news right around the same time Twitter started, so 2008, Mm. and I read Token Hall. Oh. And it was devastating. Mm. Um, What was your first thought when you read that? (laughs) <laughs> we're all adults it's okay you can say fuck them come on but I was hurt I'd worked since I was 14 mm-hmm. I had been a journalist since I was 18 and to have someone assign a label of tokenism to me without being rational was very very hurtful so if I use profanity in, in articulating how I felt it is within the bounds because until you have someone call you a token or any name, 
mm-hmm. for that matter, when you know you've put in the work, so suddenly you give feedback and you're the B word or you're the, it doesn't feel good. So your reaction is your reaction. They tell you, people can't tell you how to feel. That's how I felt. Yeah. Um, knowing that I'd work very hard to be there. But in this business, to your point, whether or not it's going to change, look at this room. I'm able to see, I'm here, two black women talking to an audience that is multiracial. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 20 years ago, maybe this audience would have been all African-American. But the commonality of people are people, which is the premise of my talk show, my daytime talk show plug, um, <laughs> is that, you know, we actually have more in common than we have different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, will it change? It will change because when I look out at a room like this or I look at you and we can be unapologetic black women, mm-hmm. we can have this conversation and the engagement from a diverse audience listening to our journey and relating to it. Clearly, they're relating to the feeling of it. Mm-hmm. So I think that when more people say, wait a minute, I don't feel right looking at all of these stations and not seeing more women more people of color, more Asian journalists. What is going on here? Yeah. Then I think it will change, and there and that will. I think it will too. Well, it has I'm, to. Yeah, the only constant in the world, they say, is change. Change. So this sounds like a very tumultuous field that you work in, and to bring it back to this particular mm-hmm. moment, I remember reading that during this time you said you only took advice from God and your mama. Hundred percent. What did God say? What did your mama say? And did they agree? God said, "F them." No, get it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's what my God would say. I no, uh, my mother said you can do bad by yourself, mm. and God said, "Bet on yourself." And so for me, you know, I went home, it was a Tuesday, and I I jokingly say that day, there's a picture of me, and I'm in a black and white Parenzoscular jacket and some Louis Vuitton boots. Okay. And I thought, how fly do I look outside, but I was broken inside, Mm. or someone thought they had broken me. And I went home, and I prayed, and I became what I always tell everyone, I have done in crisis, I have done in that moment of pivot, that big moment, the aha moment, is look in the mirror and find your seven-year-old self. Mm. Your seven-year-old self, to me, is the most powerful self that I own. Why is that? Because she is the one who didn't have permission to say F it, but lived it that way. She is not made up, no fake eyelashes, no people no encouraging her, no Louis Vuitton, no nothing. Your seven-year-old self, I get in the mirror and I stare and I look for her because she's the kid no one bet on, single mom from a tiny town, Luling, Texas. My grandfather was a sharecropper. We would go to my grandfather's job to greet him. It was a gas station where he sold barbecue eventually in the back of a gas station. Mm. And you'd walk through and say hi to Mr. Chambers, the man who owned it, and then go through the aisles. And in the back with a butcher's apron on was my grandfather. So his grandchild was not supposed to be on the Today Show. She's not supposed to be here in the room where it's happening. She was supposed to be there. I have a rule. I don't like you if you don't like where you're from. 
Ooh, I like that. That means you don't have to stay there, but I want you to like where you're from. Mm -hmm. So seven-year-old Tamron liked walking to the back and greeting her grandfather, who was chopping meat to throw on a pit to feed other families more food than he had to feed his own. Mm. And that's where I pull from. And I, it's the advice I give the kids I mentor. Look for your seven-year-old self. Even if you're 19, 20, search for your seven-year-old self. That person has the answer you're looking for. That inner child is real. I learned that. It is. Therapy. It's real. Absolutely. It's real. So I take it that your advice to seven-year-old Tamron would be bet on yourself. What 100%. does that mean? At some point, you know, life requires you to pivot, whether it's a relationship with somebody you don't want to be with or they don't want to be with you. The pivot is always going to come. Are you ready for it? And many times you see it. So when I left my prior job, I saw it coming. Now, you're inclined to fight for your job or fight for the relationship because you want it. You're Mm -hmm. there. You didn't just come there for temporary reasons. But the pivot is coming and you see it. And you're like, damn, I don't want to face it. How do I? Okay, I'm going to negotiate with him. Listen, you want me to change? All right, what do you want to do? You want me to do this? You want me to be this person? Okay, I don't like my hair straight, but I'll straighten it for Mm. you. What do you need me to do? So you start negotiating with the other side. What? Okay, I still want to work here. What do I, okay, I will now answer every phone call. I'll show up for everything that they say because I hope they eventually see what I bring to the table. I hope the person I'm in a relationship eventually sees what I bring to the table. Mm-hmm. The pivot is a stalker. It keeps coming. It keeps coming. Will not leave you alone. And at some point, it makes you act. Here's the deal. In anything you do in your life, you will have to pivot, anticipate it, negotiate with it, but don't run from it. And that's something that came to me. I don't know if I've ever even told this story publicly. This is a horrible reoccurring dream I had. It's okay. But no one will tell outside of this room. <laughs> tweeted under the name Joanne Reed said this. <laughs> <laughs> She's my friend. Um, I kept having this dream that This is so weird. I was a fish. It was in the ocean. And these sharks were coming at me. And I had a stick behind me. And the sharks keep coming. This, I swear, I've never told this, and please don't think I'm nuts. But the shark keeps hiding behind a weed. And I'm like, I can see you. Please stop. Mm -hmm. The shark then hides behind coral. I'm like, I can see you. Please stop. And the shark keeps coming and it keeps coming. I'm like, please. And I try to negotiate. And at some point, as I pull my little fin, this is where I was pulled this little fin, it's a sword. Mm. And I kill the shark. What an amazing recurring <laughs> dream to have. And I kept saying, please stop. And then there's this scene and it's all red and then it clears up. And I had that dream, a reoccurring dream, up until the day I left my old job. Wow. You believe in omens and signs and stuff? I did after that. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. One of my only recurring dreams is that I was a cupcake. What flavor? um, If you say anything other than chocolate, I'm walking away. It was not chocolate. I'm sorry. Well, thanks, ladies and gentlemen. It's been great. And uh, I already (laughs) saw Tracy. I've never spoken to a human being for 60 minutes in my life. So this is genius. I already So you were a cupcake. I was a cupcake. 
and um, I my cousin had to eat me for some reason. Oh. And I just remember crying and apologizing to him, even though I was the one being eaten. And every time I would have this dream, I would wake up like in tears. Really? What, what do you does think that it means? That I'm... I don't know. Something's wrong somewhere. I don't know. I mean, what else could oh, it what mean? What does that mean? Well, that probably like when you have the dreams about losing your teeth, they say it's vulnerability. Oh, like, you know, I, have I have a book on dreams and it talks about um, what our dreams mean. So like the teeth coming, your, that's vulnerability, the falling, like these things that we all have in common, these common theme dreams mm-hmm. often all mean something with vulnerability or feeling helpless, like the whole naked in the room you wake yeah. up. Those are all actual studied dreams and mm-hmm. it's something about vulnerability, which is what we said women, especially yeah. black women, have a difficult time sharing in these workspaces because yeah, you tracks. do feel like the underdog. Yeah. Interesting. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad we I'm unpack not a... that therapy session. Leave thank, $100 thank at you. the door. You're welcome. <laughs> I can save a little bit of money on next week. So, yes. to go back to this moment, and then we're going to transition mm-hmm. out, I promise. After you had made your decision not to renew your contract, what was it like to still have to go to work until the moment that you did not have to go anymore? I didn't. Oh. They, no, they asked me not to come back. Oh, I did not realize Oh, it's called blood business. Uh, how did that? <laughs> oh, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. And a lot of people were quite upset about that. But I knew I would always have a chance to say hello again. Mm, and I love two that. and a half years later, I was fortunate to partner with Disney and ABC. And on September 9th, 2019, I walked out and said hello again. Mm. See, I love this story, but it all sounds so just like beautiful and like tied up with a a red ribbon. No, it's not a Disney ending. I don't fancy myself a sugar coating kind of person. That's how it happened. Yeah. Listen, I have survived far more painful things. My grandfather was a sharecropper with a second grade education. I lost a TV job. Which Mm. do you think is harder? In, in that moment, was that a comfort or like, did it take some time to like mm-hmm. get to that point? Like, okay, let me calm down. I would, let me I would down. give my friends permission to talk to you on record. I judged them two ways. People who called me who were not friends, who were like, oh my God. And other people who called me and said, I know you got something next. Mm. And honestly, being 47, maybe if this had happened when I was 22, 25, 27, 37, I'm 47, and I was not interested in throwing myself a pity party because I had done nothing wrong. Mm. And so it's not a Disney ending, my partner in my ABC show. Um, (laughs) It's not a Disney ending. It's at some point in your life, you got to stop running because I wasn't defeated. What was Mm -hmm. I going to be sad, mad, afraid of? I was worried because you want to be able to pay your bills, mm-hmm. but I was financially okay. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother yeah, was but like, okay. You didn't feel like disrespected. Like, how dare they? No treat one me can this take way? your respect unless you give it to them. They never owned my respect. No, it's like when people say he, he was emasculated. Did he get what? No yeah. one can take my respect. Mm-hmm. I've never been on my knees. Uh, <laughs> how does that sit in Zia? <laughs> Where are we going? Other than with my husband. No kidding. Ah! I don't know. No, are you kidding me? No, I don't I don't like the notion of telling people that someone disrespected you. What does that mean? 
they talked to you in a way that was unacceptable to you. And I said, it's unacceptable. Whether I could walk from the door or not, you know, there's a difference in having a disagreement, but the notion that someone can disrespect you, no, they can't. My respect is not determined by what you say to me, by how you treat me. My respect is what I carry in my heart. It's who I see. It's my seven-year-old me. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that as some kind of a Yan LeVan, Maya Angelou moment, because <laughs> I wish I was as amazing as either of them. I say it because I come from nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing. So what are you going to take from me? Mm. What do you wish people knew about this time in your life? If they anything. Know. Oh, they know when they turn it on. They know she kept fighting. And I'm trying to do a show every day that's fun, that's enlightening, that's inspirational, that's, you know, conversations that you're having every day. I want people, no matter who they are, to watch the show and see themselves in some capacity. Or, like, I had Rick Ross on the other day. (laughs) And I... Yes. Shout out to Rick Ross. Yes. And, you know, and there were some people, you know, because I have a nationally syndicated show. So you have a show that's in New York and then it's in a tiny town. And so I'm thinking, oh, Lord, somebody in Boise is going to be like, who is Rick Ross? <laughs> well, guess what? Rick Ross is a recovering addict. He was addicted to scissor. Mm. Said that right. You did. Um, <laughs> He's a guy who faced a crossroad in his life. His dad was actually, both of his parents very educated, but the streets called him Mm. into a decision that he made that he didn't have to make. White, black, hip-hop, country, whatever. Redemption is relatable. Struggles are relatable, whether it is an addiction to opioids, alcohol, a relationship, whatever it is. These things are relatable. Mm -hmm. And Rick Ross ended up being one of our highest-rated shows Because when you show humanity, doesn't matter the voice. And so our goal with a Rick Ross or someone that everyone thinks they might identify with, whomever that is, is to have a conversation. Because the minute we're able to talk, you're able to relate to people. Mm -hmm. So when people wonder where I am now, if you turn it on, I'm where I'm supposed to be. Mm. Um, That reminds me of a quote that I read in prepping for this episode. And I remember something to the effect of once you saying, once you take off your mask and I take off my mask, we can have a conversation. What is behind your mask? Oh, currently, I think that I right now, as I said, I have a six month old and I'm juggling this show and things are going very well. I probably mask how hard it is because like flying here to come for this trip. Having my son now six months old in my mind, I'm thinking, does he notice? Is he aware now? Oh, my gosh. Am I supposed to be just a stay-at-home mom at this point? You know, wait a minute. Is it all worth it? Am I putting myself, you know, so you, so I try not to talk about that as much because I am very, 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 very fortunate to have a nanny. I'm blessed to have a mother who's healthy, who's with my son right now. Shout out to grandma. <laughs> Shout out. But I live in a socioeconomically diverse neighborhood, and I know that a few blocks from me is a 15-year-old doing it completely by herself Mm. with no love, with no support. And here I am a few blocks over, nationally syndicated talk show, a nanny, a husband, a mom. And so I feel guilty ever feeling defeated. 
mm-hmm. or ever having a weak moment, which I have a lot. I got on the plane to come here, and as much as I adore you and wanted to talk to you guys and hang out and drink champagne, I'd much rather be in my bed with no makeup on, with Moses in his onesie, which is mm. so dope, and just chilling. And I actually tweeted out something today. His bottle was turned up, and I was like, last year, turned up meant something different. <laughs> so I think my mask right now is to try and not show how hard it is because I feel guilty um, saying it's hard. Mm. I'm sorry, I'm just processing. I'm like, what's <laughs> behind my mask? I don't know. Yeah, what is? Um... Probably guilt and shame over things that I shouldn't similarly feel like guilt and shame for, for being too anxious, for being too depressed, for not saying this when I should have and et cetera. Like, I feel like I have to keep like a, a brave face on all the time. I feel that way. So I, but, I, you know, and I wonder sometimes, is that unique to women? Is that unique to black women? Yeah. But um, uh, somebody that I've had in my life, my hairstylist, Johnny Wright, he's in the audience. Johnny... I met when he was 18. It was I was hosting an event in Chicago. I was a local news anchor. And he came over to me and he's like, I was in my mom's basement doing hair. And I told her I want to do that lady on the news. And I just happen to be right here with you right now. And I really want to do your hair. And I said, if you mess my hair up, you'll never do hair again. But the universe conspired for us to meet. And I took a chance and he ended up doing my hair for many years, even came on my local show, left me, did Michelle Obama's hair for eight years, created the bang look. Well, all and right. then he's here and single. Um, hey, and, uh, see me after the show. And, and then after finishing uh, his work with uh, the first family, came back and did my show. I tell you that story to say, not to brag on him because I will, because he's a part of my life. Because I do think you should brag on all of your friends and all the people in your life. Big up everybody in your life. But I tell you that because this morning he said, it was so weird, Tamron. He said, I woke up and I looked out at the beautiful day and the sun and I had this overwhelming moment of gratitude. Mm. And I said, I don't think I do that enough. Because I've been so focused on getting, you know, the right spot with the baby. And my husband and I are new in our marriage and the show is new. And I said, you know what? You got to stop to do it. And I have to do that more. Mm -hmm. So, Um, Allegedly, according to my therapist, gratitude actually changes your brain and your brain chemistry. I believe that. I do too because I believe that. she makes a lot of money. Yeah. So I'm just like, you know more yeah. than yeah. I do yeah. about this. And, stuff. I, and I'm going to look her up. Well, one of the books that I have always subscribed to is called The Path of Light. I received mm-hmm. it when I was 18 years old. I still carry it around with me. And it talks about the universe conspiring to give you truly what you want, not what you think you want. So there's, for example, uh, you can be dating someone and you say, or a job, I really want this job. I really want this job. And you don't get it. And you're like, but I thought I did. And then later you get something else and you're able to look back and say, I really didn't want that. Mm. So when I look back at all the job interviews that I went on and I didn't get to, it makes perfect sense now. And over time, relationship, I'm like, I thought I wanted to marry him. Oh, my gosh. He's on prison boot camp on TLC. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, and it's like, and I thought he was the, prison the, boot camp. the most amazing thing in the world. I'm like, I dodged a bullet, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the book's whole premise is that the universe conspires to give us what we truly want. The thing is, is that we don't always know what we truly want. That's my problem in life. Yeah. That's all, like, of, our, that's all of ours. You think you know. 
but like remember that MTV you think you know but, but you, you have, have no, no idea, idea. Yes. it's like that it's exactly <laughs> like that it's exactly like that mm. so it sounds like you've always been ready to say yes to the thing whatever the thing is yeah. and a thing that I wanted to discuss is your move from Lulling Texas am Luling? I saying Luling yeah. Luling pardon from yeah, Luling okay. Texas to Philadelphia yeah I, too, moved to Philadelphia. Philly was my first big city. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, originally. I went to grad school at Temple for two minutes, and I was like, this was a mistake. I wasn't getting any financial aid. I was studying poetry. You should have called me. I would have you up. I should (laughs) have. But I want to talk about that transition from Luling to Philly. You first mm-hmm. get to Philly. What was that like? What were, your, what were you feeling? Were you I'd nervous? I've never were you scared? seen anything so tragic in my life. So tragic. Epidemic homelessness. Oh, wow. So this was the 80s. This was crack. Mm-hmm. This was right as Bill Clinton was running for president. This was the beginning of the notion that crack babies and welfare moms. So every image that you can imagine of black poverty uh, was not being empathized with Mm. as we are current crisis. Um, It was terrible. And here I am, 1,528 miles door to door, being driven in my dad's conversion van. We'd had an epic argument because he refused to stop at Graceland because he said Elvis was racist. And I said, you have no proof of that. And I was never going to talk to him again unless he took me to Graceland. And he did not. um, With fried chicken that he'd fried and weird white piece of bread meticulously wrapped up for me, my brother, and my mom. I love it. And we drive in and we stop at the corner of Girard Avenue and Broad Street. If you think you know what a hood looks like, you've never seen anything like this Mm. at that time. It's beautiful now. Regentrification is something. Pull up to the corner and a man with a sign approaches my, when we're in a conversion van, 80s, roll down the window. (laughs) And he says, hi, I'm one of Philadelphia's homeless. Can you help me? My brother was about eight. He peeks out and it's like a story, like you're talking about Disney. This is the counter. Uh-huh. And so my mom's like, I don't have anything. And rolls the window back up because I don't know why she rolled it down. We proceed to go to my dorm. For four years, my brother said, how's Artie? Have you seen him? Aww. Because it was such a foreign thing. Because yeah. he or I had never seen anything like that. A man on the street with a sign with no shoes begging for food. You don't see this at the time. Now you go to any rural town, mm-hmm. you will see that now. But then you didn't, because in the smaller town, surely you have a cousin. You got somebody that'll take you in. Yeah. So that was something we'd never seen before. My dorm was 15 blocks from the main campus because I had applied late. So I would have to take a SEPTA train or the bus, which we didn't have subways where I'm from. And you certainly bus. It's like somebody had What's a car. Even if it was a hoopty, <laughs> somebody could pick you up. <laughs> I'm on mass transit. Every morning, my political science class was 845. And I'm on with the real working class. Yeah. When we say today, white working class, I'm on with working class. There's no distinction. It's people working two and three jobs, single moms. And it gave me a great view of life and gave me a dose of reality from the poverty of rural to poverty of big city. It made me who I am today, a Mm -hmm. part of the fiber of who I am today. But it was a culture shock when people think that I remember being a reporter and they put me on the gang beat 
in <laughs> one of my first jobs. And I was like, naturally, I understand. You do understand, you know, more about gangs than right, I do. You know, right. I was like, what? <laughs> because see, this white male uh, general manager assume I'm black. I must know gang life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? <laughs> Sir, I'm as afraid as I do. I'm holding my purse too. What? Um, But they make these assumptions that black people are a monolith, that we all have the same cultural journey. And we do because you're black, you're black. But you walk in different paths and to live in the city versus I was like, I used to call myself the country mouse. Remember Fival? I felt Aww. like Fival. I felt like they dropped me in my little hat. I was like, hey, everybody, it's Fival. You know? And so it's this big culture shock. Not only city, but ethnically. I'm now introduced to black Muslims. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, different five percenter, different yeah. type that I'd never seen. Uh-huh. So Philadelphia, I say all the time, you know, Texas gave me my heart. Philly gave me my soul because mm. I'd never experienced anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it was enlightening. When you moved to Philly, did you have, like, as we're talking now, I can hear, like, bits of mm-hmm. a Southern accent. Yeah, yeah. Was it, did you have, like, a really thick accent? When I you never had an accent. What? Never. How, I never, to, how not, though? I was a TV junkie. I grew up on Laverne and Shirley, Happy Days, What's Happening. The kids on What's Happening didn't talk like Gucci Mane. I love Mane. What's Happening. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's like I, that's why I always marvel at TV today. And part of the journey with my show is that I remember turning on the radio and you could hear the Jackson 5 and Elton John on the same station. Uh-huh. You know, I would turn it on the lineup and I adored Henry Winkler's character, the Fonz, as much as I adored Raj and Dee on Happy Days. <laughs> you know, I mean, Happy Dee was on so what's shady. happening. I loved her. And so TV was so blended. And now one of the struggles I have with social media, which I'm on, is that it's the first time in our history that we cage ourselves. We throw away the key and we surround ourselves with prisoners who think exactly like us. Mm. When I was a kid, you, you know, I remember when... MTV didn't play Michael Jackson. And then all of a sudden they played Michael Jackson and he made MTV. Yeah. My darling friend Prince. That's on controversy. Am I black? Am I white? Am I straight? Am I gay? I mean, we talked about things and the music talked about things. And I don't want to sound like an old fogey now because don't get me wrong. I will. The baby and little baby. I have my preference. Hey. But when you would turn it on a radio station, it was this multicultural journey that you don't see anymore. It's like, you are this, so you're supposed to watch this show. And you are this, so you're supposed to watch that show. Mm -hmm. And so with our show, we're trying to just say, can you just talk about it? Mm -hmm. You still might not like it, but talk about it. And that's a big part of that Philadelphia experience as well for me. I mean, when you listen to like a Teddy Pendergrass, I don't care what age you are or what race, (laughs) if you don't feel it, (laughs) something wrong with you. You know, and that's how I look at it. Mm. So you consider yourself a Southerner? That's God a question. says so. I have a tattoo of Texas on my body. Oh, and you're, we're pointing to the hip area? Is that where that was? You didn't pay me enough to be here to know that oh. answer. <laughs> oh, pardon, pardon no, me. God. Well, LBJ famously said Texas politically is the Southwest. So we'll see what happens with that. One of my favorite Southern sayings is, is um, nervous as a polecat. And uh, you're already making a face. Nervous as a polecat in a room full of rocking chairs. I've heard that never. Really? <laughs> That's not how I thought that sentence was going to end. No. Okay. Do you have a favorite Southern saying? It's okay if you don't. Hotter than fish grease. <laughs> okay. Nervous as a 
hoe in church. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like, I think it's sweating like a hoe in church. I don't know. I okay. Mean, neither one applies to anyone I know, so I don't know these things. <laughs> That's just the thing I like to ask Southerners oh, because my I've never folks, heard the polecat. I'll Google yeah. that. Please Google that. Everybody. Yeah, I, it won't be there. It came from my granny probably. I don't know. Um, okay, I'm looking at the clock. I see that we have less than 15 minutes. Okay. Um, so I'm going to hard pivot to today. Yeah. And your new show. Yeah. I caught it yesterday in the hotel. You like you're having a blast. You look so happy. You're just Thank glowing. You. Thank you. How's it going? It's going great. There are things that I didn't expect that would be challenging, but there are things that have been effortless. But it's a startup. You know, it, it's mm. a startup, um, much like Steve Jobs in the garage. I, uh, <laughs> I know how these startups go. Uh, but it's a startup, but it's most important, liberating. How so? It's mine, you know? So, okay, okay. That's mine. Um, I don't know if this is a obvious question to ask, but I don't know nothing about TV. I do the opposite of TV. I do podcasts. It's the same. Communication. You're talking. True. Only with the podcast, I usually don't have to like. Do I was gonna my say hair. the only difference is I have to wear fake eyelashes yeah, every day. And you a, don't. No, that's it. This that's is it. a treat for yeah. me. I'm really enjoying it. You look beautiful. I will cry. I just started my period today. I will cry. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Me too. 20. Oh my gosh. No, I'm kidding. I'm just saying. That is completely not true. I forgive you for lying in my face. It's okay. But I admitted it. <laughs> you did. I respect that. Tell me about the differences in formats of TV. So you're doing daytime TV. You're also doing a true crime show. And you've got all this journalism, news yeah. TV experience. Like, what's the biggest it's, it's difference? It's all the same, shows? honestly, because the true crime show is in its sixth season. And I've been doing that after the murder of my sister in 2004. My sister was murdered. It is unsolved. I'm so and, sorry. Thank you. And... Uh, I knew that she was uh, the victim of domestic violence for many years. The person in her home was the only suspect but never charged. And I happened mm. to be, at the time, talking to uh, the OWN Network about starting some kind of show with them. And we couldn't just figure out the right thing. And then I got in a conversation with David Zaslav, who's the head of uh, Discovery Communications, which owns OWN Network. And... He asked me about my family. I told him about my sister, just talking. And mm. then, you know, it turned into this um, crime show. It came and turned into a foundation in honor of my sister and to support uh, survivors and children and family of domestic violence. So we have that show, which is a part of my soul, but also part of my journey as a journalist. Mm. Um, and the daytime talk show is that same thing. It's a different, you know, I tell people the reason why I love doing the news is that you can't make up live TV. So we try to be topical off the top. Mm -hmm. And then, for example, next week we're doing love and relationships. When I pitched this show to Disney and they've been so supportive, you know, I said daytime TV. So it's supposed to be about people talking. And what's there is very fun. Like I adore Ellen and, and Kelly Clarkson. We're both, you know, live in Burleson, Texas. And there's fun and there's variety in their court shows. But the first thing that someone asks you when they sit down, are you dating? Are you single? Are you gay? Yeah. Even if they're I inappropriate questions, they're I asking, what's going so on? <laughs> and we thought, nobody's talking about relationships. And my friend, Dr. Phil, if you're on his show talking about relationships, one of y'all is in prison. So like, what, how do we talk about life? How do we talk about our journey? So that's been a big part of our show. Mm -hmm. The unpacking, I use Rick Ross as the example, it's the unpacking. I think the interview we did with him was the best one of the series that he'd done mm. because I was able to look him in his face and say, are you still getting high? Which wow. nobody had asked him. But, 
you know, it's one of those things where we're able to talk about it. You know, know, some people frown upon the Real Housewife franchise, but we have Cynthia Bailey coming on. She's found love in her 50s. They are adorable. And I don't even like love. Like, I don't. (laughs) Right. You know, don't at all. But and so we're talking about the different layers of love and relationships. I think this is one of the most fascinating conversations the trend of self partnering, self marrying, this whole generation of people 25 to 45 just deciding, I'm good. Tracy Mm. Ellis Ross was on my show and she basically said that she's in love with herself. I'm cool. So that's why she doesn't really like questions about relationships because she's like, I'm good. I wonder if that's sincere. I wonder if people are just giving up. Mm. Maybe you can't, you know, you feel like you can't find the right person. What is it? And as Mm -hmm. a person who was single until they were 48, meaning publicly single, Mm. people made assumptions about me. Is she selfish? Is she gay? What's going on? She's only into her work. These guests that we have this week all one of them married herself in a sense. I feel like I heard about this. Like there was it's a phenomenal. ceremony and everything. It's phenomenal. Um, but the other is just the attitude of self-partnering. My mother called it the I'm good by myself. But mm. are you good by yourself? Are, do people really secretly want to be in a relationship? And do they say these things just as an armor, as a mask, as it relates to loneliness? Mm-hmm. So I think it's a phenomenal conversation. So we're looking at love in all... Of, in some in the wrong places. We actually do have a show on prison love. Jesus. Oh, but, uh, and it's not for an exploitative reason. It's also because one, when I was pregnant with my son, one of the shows I was obsessed with was The Last OG. And one <laughs> of the storylines, Tracy Morgan, one of the storylines was this woman who serially dated prison people. And she said it gave her control over them financially. And then they did, she didn't have to worry about them cheating. Uh-huh. Also, you know where they are like all the time. Yeah. Yeah, but you... Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> He's not in the streets. Like, I'm I mean, going you know? to use that on my show live. <laughs> yes. So, you know, our show, I can't think of another show in daytime that has that range. Friday, we had Andre Leon Talley on. We had unknown designers each day dress me on the show. And they had incredible stories. It, the finale was a mother of two from Africa living in America now. She's juggling being a nurse, a mom, and making clothes in her home. How do you not root for someone like that? And so it's the idea that, like the seven-year-old me, I believe we're all underdogs. And I believe that when I left my prior job, that people rooted for me because we hope that when we're down, someone will root for us. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we talk about the show. I want to talk about the actual things we are talking about, not what someone in an office says we should be talking about. Amen. Amen. I love that. So I'm looking at the time and we have... I'm looking at my Gucci. It's about that time. (laughs) Name that song. Uh, six oh. bad bras flying in at night. What is the song? No. That's what I was singing. Didn't sound like that. Well, that's <laughs> that's fair. This is my second drink. But let the record show. Let the record show. We were on she the is same BK for life. Yes. Um. Uh, so since we only have about five and a half minutes less yes. left. Yes. Shout out to this bourbon. Um, we must talk about baby Moses. Yes. Adorable. Thank you. Gorgeous. I just, he's, just he's you know, those guy. little babies just want to yeah. just yeah. kind of like eat them up. Tell me about his personality. Is he more like you or more like his dad? He, I think it's more like me, but he looks like his dad. I was just telling um, folks 
before we came in, the most remarkable, I haven't felt like this magical motherness. Like I don't feel like Beyonce all of a sudden, but I'm a Virgo, so I'm very analytical. And so I've watched him acquire agency. So the last couple of weeks, I would sit my son in his high chair and he would just go in. He's learned how to now resist. So he straightens his legs oh. really tight. And so you're like, get like, in no, that. no, no. And he now knows he has free will, mm. which is an incredible thing to watch a human being acquire. Like he, up until the last week, had to do everything we said mm-hmm. and did. And now he has learned agency and free will. The only thing that keeps him from doing what he wants to do is I'm bigger. So we can just twist him and he has to go in. But you see it in his <laughs> eyes. He's like, no, I want to stand. Mm-hmm. And that is such a phenomenal thing to watch a human being start making their own decisions. Mm-hmm. It's celestial for me. It's like, holy, like even more than looking at the sonogram videos of him in my stomach and my mm-hmm. body transforming and all those things, like this kid now can show you he doesn't want to do something. He has opinions and thoughts. It's fascinating. I don't know where this is going to go with us. (laughs) I don't know if it means he's difficult, but it's amazing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Aw. So as a woman of a certain age who does not have children yet and may or may not, I don't know why Mm -hmm. I haven't talked to my mother about it yet. It's modern technology. Yeah. Catch up with you. It costs money. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be surprised. There are like, like we had Kenya Moore, another housewife. I don't know a lot of housewives. We did an entire show on IVF and there are multiple agencies now that try to offset the costs. There are women now demanding that employers cover IVF. They cover. You can do that. You can just be like, you're going to cover this. Bob, and they're like, okay. Well, that's democracy. You and I would still be slaves if somebody didn't demand it. So, you know, you can demand anything in a democracy, and the best power you have is to vote it in. So, Mm -hmm. yes, I mean, it's a part of legislative conversations that New Jersey is having as well. I know I went all slave deep on you, but I get it. Uh, (laughs) Hey, listen, sometimes um, you got to go slave deep. Yeah, but no, they're working on legislation to challenge employers, so rather than, you know, women looking at each other's and saying, well, you can afford it and you can't, turning our conversation on employers and saying, you can, Mm. you can change this. Don't turn us against each other who can afford it and who can't. Let's look at them and say, we are working women and the things that you cover for men, extraordinary, you know, cover these things for us. So. Absolutely. Well, there's an answer to the question I didn't even finish answering. I mean, I just learned something <laughs> so, new. So you're going to go through IVF now? Yes. Okay. I'm going to go to my boss okay. and be like, listen here, Jenna. Tamron Hall said, I would Tamron be a slave said, still, and I want my justice. So. You emancipate me in my womb <laughs> yes. and pay for this IVF. Yes. I knew you were my favorite podcast for a reason. <laughs> Okay, Okay. so final question, wrapping up. Unfortunately, I have so many other questions, but you made it through the 60 minutes. Good job. I'm proud of you. (laughs) What will you teach baby Moses about work? It doesn't own you. You own you. And I think so much of our journey is seeking satisfaction of work for monetary reasons. And trust me, Money does matter. Nothing feels better than paying all your bills on time. What does that feel like? Oh, my God. (laughs) But it doesn't have to own you. Because in the end, they're going to quit you or you have to quit them. Mm. 
I cannot think of a better stopping point. And look at that. Zero, zero, zero. Yay. Is she a professional or not? Miss <laughs> Samron Hall, this has been an absolute joy. Thank, Thank you. you for giving me some of your time and flying all the way out here to chit chat with me. I really appreciate oh, it. You're phenomenal. Oh, my gosh. No, Should everybody are. tweet that? She's that the real happens. deal. She's the real deal. Where? Thank you. Where can people find out more about um, your fund? The fund is on Safe Horizon. Go to safehorizon.com. It's the Tamron Hart Renata Fund. They do phenomenal work. It is the largest shelter in America helping women and families who are survivors. We don't call them victims, survivors of domestic violence. If you think it is not happening to people in this room, we are kidding ourselves. There are people in this room right now, men, women, people who witnessed it in their childhoods were all impacted by it. So go to Safe Horizon. It is a celebration of accomplishments because so much has been done, but so much is in store. If you want to also know about the show, TamronHallShow.com. It's been a trippy experience. It's been surreal, but I wouldn't be back on air if it weren't for people rooting for me. And I can't tell you enough. Thank you. And people root for you because they want to be rooted for. So whatever your dreams are, Whatever you're trying to achieve in this room, know that I am rooting for you as well. Thank you. Thank y'all so, so much for tuning in again. Going Through It is an original series. Thank you so much for tuning in and going through it once again. Going Through It is an original podcast created in partnership with MailChimp and Pineapple Street Studios. Executive producers for Going Through It are Jenna Weiss-Berman, Max Linsky, and Agaranesh Ashagre. Shout out to the producers of Going Through It. Our lead producer is Josh Gwynn. Production by Jess Jupiter and Emmanuel Hapsis with production support by Janelle Anderson. Our editor is the Leela Day, who is every woman, every single woman. Just ask Shaka Khan. Chaka, 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 our music is by Dawood Anthony and our engineer is Hannes Brown. Special thanks to Eleanor Kagan for being the alpha and the origin of this entire party. Stay in touch, please. I get lonely and I have anxiety and separation issues. So follow me on all the things at Broken McPoverty. Tell your friends about the show. Make sure to rate and subscribe to Going Through It on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever free podcasts are sold. And guess what? That's it. We out. I'm going home. Bye. Thank you.